We are so glad you've joined us today for our Thursday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today, we are continuing our study in the book of 1 Samuel. So let's listen in now to Pastor Dave. In your trials will be over. In ancient Israel, men wore four-cornered garments, outer tunics, and these tassels are tied to the four corners. The outer garment is known as a talit and eventually evolved into the more formal prayer shawl that we see the Jewish men have these days. Um, but why the tassels? These tassels are, again, to remind the Jewish male of his responsibility to fulfill God's commandment. In fact, these tassels are tied into 613 knots to constantly remind them of the 613 laws of Moses. Um, They're hanging on the four corners of your garment in full view of everyone, including yourself. They'd be a constant reminder to walk according to God's law. The Hebrew word that translates law, it literally means to walk. And so they're walking and and, and they're there where their feet are walking is remind them to walk in the Lord, to walk according to his law. Today, because Jewish people wear Western clothes, they keep this law by wearing a four-cornered garment as an undershirt. Yet they bring the tassels out over their belt. You'll see that a lot in Israel as well. Um, and so they're kind of wearing uh, a shirt, but their, their, their prayer shawl is sticking out, and you can see the tassels outside of, uh, that go from the inside of their shirt outside. Um, we also find that these are um, also prayer shawls worn today, and it's one of the reasons why when you go to um, the Western Wall, you'll see the prayer shawl completely over their head. And what they're doing is that they're walling themselves in, in underneath the authority of God is what they're doing there. It's, it's putting themselves under the authority of God. Um, and so this is another reason why in Matthew 6, 6, when we are told to go into our closet or our secret place when it comes to prayer, that that is considering the prayer shawl at that point as you pull it over yourself, you're now in a place where it's just you and the Lord and all outside activity and all distractions of the world are gone. And so that is what that's speaking of in Matthew 6.6. 6. Now, the interesting thing that I find here is that these fringes, these tassels, are definitely to remind them of the Lord. But each, uh, you will have eight strands here, okay? Now, this, is, this isn't really the best picture because it's really uh, seven white strands and one blue strand, okay, uh, when it comes to the uh, tassels here. But there are eight strands that make up this whole tassel, um, you have seven white, you have one blue. The seven stands for purity and completeness. The blue actually speaks of, um, the, it's called the servant thread. Uh, and, it, and eight speaks of new beginnings. Um, this blue thread here is very interesting because it resembles the sea. The sea resembles the sky. The sky represents um, the heavens where the throne of God is. And so that blue thread represents heaven where the throne, where the throne room of God is. Um, you'll notice that there are five knots here, Okay. You have, uh, you have one, two, three, four, and five, okay? Five represents the uh, Pentateuch, the law, the Torah, okay? And then you have one, two, three, four wrappings there. And the wrappings are very, very significant. The wrappings here, each Hebrew letter has a numerical value. Uh, the numerical value of the Hebrew letters that spells out Yahweh is 26, okay? Is 26, the number one law to the Hebrew is the Shema. The Lord is one. That's Yahweh Akkad. 
is what that is. Akkad's equivalent of the letters there is 13, okay? So because of that, in the very first wrappings here, you have, you have uh, seven wrappings right here, then you have eight wrappings, okay? And then you have, um, after that, you have 13 wrappings, I think it is. And so that's an equivalent of 26 wrappings. And as I look at this, I, I, I notice right here, and these are 13 wrappings. So this wrapping, this wrapping, this wrapping is supposed to add up to 26. I think I have one up here that's not really up to speed here. But 26 is Yahweh. And then the third one is 13, which is a cod. It means the Lord is one, is what that means. The Lord is one. And so when they look at that, they see the Lord is one. They see the Pentateuch. Uh, of the law, and then they also see that because of this, um, when they when they um, when you take the whole tassel here, and the the word tassel zitzit is um, when you add up all its letters, it's six hundred, and when you take the eight threads and the five knots, you get six hundred and thirteen, which is the exact amount of uh, commandments that are in the Torah. Okay. And so with the Torah, you have 30, 365 negative commandments, thou shalt not, and you have 248 positive commandments, thou shalt, okay? So the reason why I wanted you to see this is because there's huge significance in this tassel. It wasn't just, you know, sometimes we look at it and said, oh, just remember the law. There is so much in the wrappings and everything else that speaks of the commandments of God, of walking in God, that it's the Shema, the Lord is one. And this is to remind them to walk in the ways of the Lord. In Matthew 23, when it says you have enlarged your borders, he's talking about the tassels here, that some of the Pharisees thought that they were better because they had longer tassels than other people. That meant that they were more spiritual and things like that. And so here's one of the, uh, the, the tassels here that you can kind of look at here. These tassels also are known for a person's authority. So this would have been on Saul's robe, this would have been on Saul's robe. And so we find that David goes in and he sneaks in and he humiliates Saul by going in there and cutting off the symbol of his authority. And as he does that, David gets convicted here. It says in verse 5, it says, Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. What did David see himself doing? He's taking matters into his own hands symbolically he's taking matters into his own hands and that convicted him that convicted him and he said to his men the lord forbid that i should do this thing to my master the lord's anointed to stretch out my hand against him seeing he is the anointed of the lord david was upset with himself because he understood to steal someone's tassel was to steal his authority and even though David did this to prove to Saul that he was not trying to kill him, he came to that realization afterwards. At the time he was doing it, he was doing it to humiliate Saul, and that bothered him. And so David immediately went out of the cave, and he laid himself on the ground, and he humbled himself before Saul to prove to Saul that he was not trying to kill him. And so it says again in verse 7, So David restrained his servants with these words, did not allow them to rise against Saul. Saul got up from the cave and went his way. And David also rose after, went out of the cave and called out to Saul saying, my Lord, the king. That's David putting himself under the authority of who God has put in authority. Now, let me ask you this. Are you willing to put yourself under authority 
over whom God has put in authority? It's a great question. Wherever you work, your supervisor, God has put authority over you through them. And are you willing to bow to their authority? David did through Saul. David did through Saul. Some of you might not like who our president is, but what does he think that God wants you to do? He wants you to understand he is still our authority here in the United States. You might not like him. I'm pretty sure that David wasn't really liking Saul a whole lot. But he recognized the authority that God has put in place. Let's go here to Romans chapter 13. A lot of people don't like this. They were hoping that God would probably edit this out. In Romans chapter 13. But in verse 1 it says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. (laughs) Chew on that. With all the Hitlers and, and, you know, all the despots of the world. Right there. And the authority that exists are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, on avenging, uh, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. That speaks of God. And you could say, well, wait a second, Dave, he's, he's bound to his authority, but, but he's not allowing for Saul to catch him. That's right. Because you know what? What Saul is doing is against the word of God. Thou shalt not murder. If David was guilty of something and he was running away from the hand of the law for being guilty over something, that's different. But he's not guilty. And David isn't doing anything wrong by preventing Saul from sinning, from sinning. And there's a big difference there. There's a big difference there. So we look at this and David humbles himself and, 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 he, and, he, and he bows down before him. And he goes out of the cave there. He says, my Lord, the king. And Saul looked behind him and David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, indeed, David seeks your harm? Look this day, your eyes have seen the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave. And someone urged me to kill you. There are many who was urging him to kill him. But my eyes spared you and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. He is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. And know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take, to take it. Everyone here, including Saul, knew that David had been anointed by God to be the next king of Israel, which is why Saul feared David so much. At En Gedi, David had literally taken Saul's authority, and at that point, he could have taken the throne. It would have been the easy way than what David is going to have to suffer until God finally puts it into his, his hands. But he didn't. 
Instead, he chose to let God choose that right time. That is a man that knows what it is to wait upon the Lord. And David is a perfect example, I think, of all of us. We could all probably think of shining moments in our lives where I waited on the Lord and saw him delivered. It was so awesome. And there's other times that we're going, I don't want to wait for the Lord on this one. You know, I'm, I'm going to, you know, off of his head, whatever. That's exactly what we see David do in the very next chapter. He wants to go after Abigail's husband. And he was going to kill him. He was going to kill him. He was taking matters into his own hands. That's a tough thing to do. I don't know about you. I have good days and bad days. I have days where I'm just so in tune with the Lord. I could see everything coming, you know, and I'm waiting on the Lord. Oh, no, I'm not supposed to do that. Oh, I'm not going to say a crossword there. Oh, I see what the test is here. And there's other times, oh, I see what the test is. I don't care. Off with their head. You know, that's what I want to do. I mean, we are David. We, we, we have these good days and we have these bad days. We have days where the Holy Spirit is just has a hold of us. And we have other days that we know exactly what the Holy Spirit is telling us to do. But we don't want to do it. You know? And by the grace of God, somebody intervenes. I praise God for those interveners in my life. Praise God for them. And so, this chapter is going to end with Saul admitting that David would eventually be king. Saul basically agrees that David deserved the corner uh, that, that David uh, deserved the corner of his robe and that he had cut it off because the robe that tassel was a sign of authority. So he's kind of agreeing with them that you, you're going to have the office of the next king. However, the attack on the robe was an attack on the king himself. And after cutting the robe, David realized that and he realized it was sin. He realized it was sin. Now, when we look at this in light of Saul's sin back in 1 Samuel 15, when he grabbed um, uh, Samuel's robe, and as he went, it tore. And he said, this kingdom has now been torn from you. I'm wondering, not that David might remember that, because he wasn't there for that, but I'm kind of wondering that if David did not repent, would the same grim future have happened to him? We're never going to know, because he did repent. And he did more than that. In verse 12, he goes, Let the Lord judge between you and me. And let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, Wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? Therefore, let the Lord be a judge. And judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. David appeals to a higher authority. He says, I could have taken you out right now, but I'm going to let God judge between you and I. I'm going to let God do that. Who are you pursuing anyway? And he continues to be humble. He says, what are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? What's, what's the big deal here? You know, but I'm going to let God judge between you and myself. And so um, God's judgment is God's business. And it's a good thing to do. I have something that's kind of going on in my life right now that I'm, I'm doing that with. I'm just saying, okay, let God judge between you and myself, you know. Um, I had a conversation with someone this morning that really ticked me off, and, uh, you know, uh, he was, he's another minister in a different part of the United States, and it's a good thing he was. Um, I was mad, and we, you know, emailed each other, and, and uh, he called me this morning, as he should have, and uh, we were able to make our peace and everything like that. But it's, it's one of those things that, 
that a lot of times I go, okay, we're just going to have to agree to disagree. And uh, this is just something that, you know, um, that we're going to have to let God judge between. It ended up being really good, but it's one of those things that there are so many things that you have to run down that you just go, you know what? I don't have time for this. This is between, you know, I know what it is that God's called me to do. And so whatever rift is right here, I know you love the Lord. I love the Lord, but we just don't agree. And so, you know what? We're just going to have to let God work that out. And sometimes those things get worked out on the other side of heaven. So, um, verse 16, it says, So it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul, that Saul says, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. Let me tell you something. I'm reading this, and he wept, and it just seems so real, and this and that. You know, I, I, I try not, I, I don't want to have a hard heart or anything like that, but tears never, ever sway me when someone says that they're sorry. What sways me is when I actually see a change in their actions. That's what sways me. And we see that Saul really isn't changed in chapter 26 as he goes after David again. So... I look at this and it just kind of drives me crazy a little bit. Um, We've seen Saul time and time again disown David by calling him the son of Jesse. Now he calls him his son. Uh, Saul weeps because he knows what he's doing is wrong. Uh, By acknowledging David as his son, he has just reestablished him once again as a member of the royal family and thus in line to be king. And Saul's own men hear this. So he has all sorts of witnesses, not only David's men, but Saul's men. 3,000 of them hear this, of what it is that um, Saul is saying here. And he says, and you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me, for when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. David was very gracious with Saul. Saul at this point understands that he was a dead man who was given life, and it humbles him momentarily. But then his crazy self comes back later on in chapter 26. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king. He says that in front of his men. And that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Now understand, David is far enough away, up probably in the caves. Saul's come out probably more to the area of where you saw the water there of of En Gedi. And he's shouting back and forth. So this is being shouted back and forth. So no doubt everybody is hearing what's going on here. Everybody hears what's going on. And, um, and so he tells them, he says, Surely you will be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore, swear to me now by the Lord that you may not cut off my descendants after me, and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul. Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Now, David cut off his authority, repented of that. Saul's able to see that, no, you're a righteous man. You could have killed me. You chose not to. You're waiting on the Lord. That authority is eventually going to be yours. You are going to be king. And now I ask of you, don't cut off my descendants. You've already cut off my authority. Don't cut off my descendants after me. Now, it's in 2 Samuel chapter 9 that after David has established the kingdom and things like that, many years have gone by, that he begins to ask the question, are there any descendants? But he doesn't say of Saul. He says of Jonathan. And so there was a son of Jonathan that he brings in and he eats at the king's table. And we'll get to that when we get to that. 
But he does honor this of what Saul says. He does honor this. And so, uh, and, then, and, and then it says, so David swore to Saul and Saul went home. But David did not go with Saul. He goes to his own stronghold. Because many times people can repent, claim to be changed people and things like that. They can demonstrate with, with uh, a lot of tears and things like that. But unless it's demonstrated with a completely changed life, it does not mean anything. And David obviously was able to look at it. You called me your son. That's great. I'm back in the family. But guess what? Still don't trust you. Until I see over time that you're no longer coming after me, after I see over time that you're not persecuting me anymore, then maybe I'll come back to the royal household. But until then, that's not good enough. Alan Redpath said this, What a miserable picture Saul is. What is the use of saying I have played the fool if he goes on playing the fool? What use are his tears and confession before David if he doesn't act upon his remorse? In fact, it is worse to have this kind of emotional response if it doesn't result in repentance. If a man is emotionally upset as Saul was, awakens to his condition, but only weeps about it and still doesn't obey God, his second state is a thousand times worse than the first. Emotion that does not lead to action only leads deeper into sin and rebellion. It reminds me of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7.10, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. True repentance is you're going this way, and you realize the way you're going is, is against the way of God, and so you repent and you turn, and you're walking the other way towards the Lord. Towards the Lord. Saul doesn't do that. Saul doesn't do that. And so it's not true repentance. It's not true repentance. And so um, I look at that and just go, you know, true repentance is just that. You, you change the way. So if you are believing the Lord Jesus Christ, then people should be seeing you walking closer to the Lord, being in fellowship, reading your Bible. Um, you don't swear nearly as much as you used to. That's progress, man. Hopefully you get to the point where you're not swearing at all. That's progress. That's huge. That's huge. But if they can't tell the difference besides the fact that you say that you're a Christian and you go to church, but they look at you at the workplace or they look at you around the neighborhood, you know, and you're still beating your dog and yelling at your kids or vice versa, however that works, that's not a very good witness to show that you're repentant, that you're really a godly person. There has to be a change there somewhere along the way. David changed immediately it cut off the the the, the tassel there cut off the the, the 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 corner of his robe i cut it off and i'm going back and as he as he's done that he's feeling the remorse the guilt it's seen in the actions he's the one that initiated he saw you know he's the one that cries out he bows down my king <clears throat> he's the one that does it that's an action and you can tell his repentant heart there, I did the wrong thing, I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have done that. And you could see it in his action of what it is he said. He did not have to do that. He could have gotten away scot free. He could have killed him right then and there. He could have waited until his, his own soldiers came to find out what was going on and saw him dead there and he could have been long gone. But he didn't. He initiated it and he went and he repented. 
Well, that concludes today's edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Tune in tomorrow as we continue our study in 1 Samuel. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit with us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at 5 p.m. on Saturday evenings, On Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our Young Adults Ministry, Arise, meets every Friday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Castle Rock. Child care is offered for all of our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station. For more information about us or this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. We are so blessed you've joined us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God. Mm -hmm.